Now, for those of you who don't know, there is an entirely brand new profession that goes by the name of influencers. And for those of you who are on social media, you know exactly what I'm talking about. These are people who are kind of on the social media space who are often able to make an entire profession around being an influencer. These are kind of social media celebrities. And they influence in a whole lot of different areas. And it could be in the area of technology or politics or opinions or fashion, and the whole idea is way more than simply to entertain you, but really to influence you, and to influence you with regards to their sphere of influence. And once again, the idea is not to get you simply to click their videos, but to get you to, in many ways, submit to their influence. And so you are going to receive what they have to say, how they think, how they tell you to behave or how they tell you to dress so that over time, because you've submitted to their influence, we can start seeing their influence in your life. Now, this whole world of influences can get really, really strange. There's this one guy, he's got over 2 million followers on TikTok And his videos are really people phone in or people write in and they tell him their problems. And he's not a professional, he's not a psychologist or anything like that, but he just gives them well-meaning, well-hearted advice. And so you may say, Stephen, well, what's strange about that? Well, he paints his face green and wears a green gecko onesie and goes by the name of Lyle the Therapy Gecko. Because when we're going through the storms of life, that is exactly what we need, therapy from a gecko. Now, maybe not all of you are on Instagram and TikTok and so on and so forth, but you have people in your life who have deeply influenced you. Sometimes these are people you know, or sometimes these are people you don't know, but you have received their influence via books or via movies or via media, and they have influenced you. And so why? Whether it's these people on social media or the people in your life who you have allowed to influence you, why do you allow them to influence you? And so often it comes down to some attributes that they have that you want more of in your own life. And so for that reason, it goes beyond simply entertainment and it goes into the realm of influence. And so that is why, but how does this happen? I think we just do this, whether consciously or unconsciously, so naturally. Because you've seen something in them that you want more of in your life, you Come to a point where you submit yourself to their influence. And not only do their words kind of go in one ear and out the other, but you start to give their opinions and their thoughts and their life some weight in your own life. And because you've made those choices, 
we can see the influence of these people in your life. And we start finding ways for that influence to become real and tangible in our own lives. And I bring all of this up because that is what we're going to be speaking about today. We as a church have been going through the book of Galatians and Paul has been addressing a number of challenges in this community. But as of last week, we turned the corner and we started heading towards not so much what are the problems, but what does God want for us? Where is he leading us? What is the vision we have for our lives and our lives of faith? What is the direction we're going in? And today we're going to be talking about how God himself is available to influence you. And so this journey we're on is not entirely up to you and your ability to head in the right direction, but if you can make choice, submit yourself to the influence of God in your life, you are gonna find a friend, you're gonna find a God, you're gonna find a guide who's working in you to help you towards where he wants you in life. And so we're gonna be reading together from Galatians chapter five, Always great if you have your Bibles with me. Otherwise, the words will be on the screen beside me. And so we're gonna start reading from verse 16 where Paul says this. And he says, So I say, walk by the Spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And so just a few quick comments before we continue reading. The first one is, whenever Paul talks about the Spirit, just to get us all on the same page, he is talking about the power and presence of God for us, with us, and in us. The power and presence of God tangibly for us, with us, and in us. Now, we're talking about the direction we're walking in. Last week, we kind of used this metaphor that if what God wants for me, and last week we spoke about the direction that God has for our lives is one of freedom, one of love, one of serving one another, one of humility. And if that is what God wants wants for us, there are some ditches on our left and our right that many of us find ourselves falling into. A large portion of the book of Galatians has been about the ditch of legalism, whereby we say, okay, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus and I follow Jesus, but if God wants to be pleased with me, I need to make sure I obey all the rules. Now, there's nothing wrong for Paul with obeying the rules, but the danger sign is why. And he says, if we follow the rules for the sake of love, That's where he wants us. Men, but there's something in our hearts that follows the rules because if I follow enough rules, then God will be pleased with me. So Paul calls that slavery. He calls that a false gospel. And so that's a ditch that some of us find ourselves in. And then on the other side, some of us find ourselves in the ditch where we are falling into the ditch of our sin, 
of our flesh, of our sinful nature, and equally, Paul calls that slavery. And because it's so easy, depending on how you're wired, either to slip off this side or to slip off that side, or somehow to miraculously have half of you in one side and half of you on the other, I think you and I can agree it would be great if we had some help. And that's what today is about. And so I wanna give you a number of thoughts that are gonna come out of these verses this morning. And the first big thought is this, that you need a guide to follow. As we navigate this life, you need a guide to follow, which is why Paul says in verse 16, so I say walk by the Spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. And this is one of those ditches that we've been talking about. I need someone to guide me. Now, what we're gonna see in the following verses is Paul just doubling down on some of the dangers regarding these ditches and why it is so important that we need someone to guide us so that we can follow. So reading on from verse 17. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. When Paul talks about the flesh, some of your translations might talk about the sinful nature. It is that tendency within us that we are born with It is like those trolleys, and I'm not gonna mention the shop's name, but I don't think they have a single functioning trolley. And it doesn't matter how many trolleys you try, you will always be stuck with the trolley with the wheel forcing you to the left. And it's a battle, especially on Black Friday when you're navigating the crowds, right? And so I wanna go this way, the trolley wants to go this way. And that is the battle that Paul is describing. There's something in me that, man, as much as I know what God wants, as much as I try to align myself with what God wants, somehow there's something like that broken wheel that always wants to go my own way and in a direction that is contrary to the direction that God has for me. Can anyone identify with that battle? And my hand is up. Verse 19, the acts of the flesh, the symptoms of our sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So Paul is trying to help us just in case we're confused and wondering, uh, to what degree is my sinful nature at work here? He's saying, well, let's look at some of the obvious symptoms. And he gives us this list. Now, maybe some of you, you read this list and you're like, I'm so glad I'm not on this list. 
these are really bad, ugly sins and I don't do those kinds of sins, so I'm okay, I'm a good person. But you know, both the Apostle Paul as well as Jesus himself warn us that the danger of our sinful nature is not only about the external actualization of our sins, but the internal motivation that leads to the external actualization of our sins. And so if we apply that filter to these words, maybe we are gonna see ourselves on this page where Paul talks about sexual immorality and impurity. Maybe you're not having a physical affair, but have any of you ever fantasized either relationally or sexually about someone who you're not married to? I hate to tell you that puts you on this page. Idolatry, witchcraft. Oh, I don't do a Ouija board. I don't go to idols. Well, um, the word of God says that anytime we put anything, even good things, above God in our life, that is idolatry. Hatred. Have you ever acted unjustly out of anger? You find something in your heart responding to maybe certain groups of people or, or people who mistreat you and your internal response is one of hatred, discord and, and division. And we can go through this list and I guarantee you that puts every single one of us, myself included, on this page. And these are the dangers that are ever present to us in our lives of faith. And this is why we need this guide. And so Paul is saying, listen, there's this battle going on inside of you. And in case some of you don't feel the battle, you're just like, that's just life. And it doesn't feel like a battle to me. That's just how I live. Paul's saying, well, let's apply some logic and let's allow this to be a mirror to us and be like, danger, danger, danger. This is your flesh and this is anti the things of God in your life. That's why we need the guide. Now, I regularly have the following thoughts. <sighs> things would be so much easier if I had like a little Jesus with me as a guide. And every time I read his word and I was going in the wrong direction or I wasn't fully understanding what is going on, I could just say, hey, Jesus, what's going on here? And every time I need a little bit of help, every time I needed a sense of, is God with me? Oh, there's Jesus. Okay, okay, God is with me. And every time I needed some counsel and some wisdom in my life, I could just look to my little Jesus and I'll get what I needed. And I know I'm not the only one who wishes that that's what our life of faith looked like. But I wanna tell you what Jesus has to say about that. And this is what he had to say just before going through his death and his resurrection and ascending to heaven. He says in John 16, verses seven, he says, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away that I will not be this little Jesus who walks this life with you. Unless I go away, 
Your different Bible translations may have different words here, all trying to help us collectively understand this idea of the Holy Spirit. Unless I go away, the advocate, someone who fights on my behalf, the comforts, the comforter, someone who comforts me with the comfort of God, the counselor, someone who gives me wisdom and direction, my friend, the Holy Spirit, he will not come to you. But if I go, I can send him to you. Is that where your head's at? Jesus is saying that the Spirit in you is better than Jesus with you. Now, I don't know if I'm always there. However, if I take Jesus at his word, I've got to trust that and say, well, Jesus, if there's a gap between me and this reality, let's move into that gap. That's what today's about. Now, we've already looked at a number of these verbs concerning how we can walk in the influence of the Holy Spirit. And I'm also gonna jump ahead to verse 25. But verse 16, look at the verbs here. Paul says, so I say, Walk by the spirits and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The word walk here is used in the sense of when people say, don't just talk the talk, walk the walk, meaning it's your life. Live your life in conformity with God's power and his presence. Verse 18, but if you are, here's a different verb, led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Notice just by the way, verse 16 is the ditch on the right. Verse 18 is the ditch on the left. The Spirit is leading us away from those ditches down towards the life that He wants for us. But being led by the Spirit is being directed by the Spirit. And jumping ahead to verse 25, just as we talk about these things, since we live, different verb, live by the Spirit, let us, one more verb, keep in step with the Spirit. Where live is literally the word for life. Let your life be enlivened by the life of the Spirit and keep in step with Him. The image that I always have here is that image of a three-legged race where somehow you're bound up with this person and now you need to figure out how do we do this in unison? So how do we do this? Well, we've already spoken about the idea that it's all about influence. And when it comes to influencers, or influences, E-S or E-R-S, somehow we intuitively know how to subject ourselves to someone else's influence, but then when it comes to God, it's a great mystery. And I wanna suggest to you, it works exactly the same way. For example, I, I find myself, and as a pastor, I'm always, reading different theologians, listening to different pastors, not only to personally get fed and nourished and you know, sharpen my mind and have my heart just encouraged in the things of God, but also to learn how to think, learn how to communicate, learn where these people are coming from. And from time to time, there may be certain people that I may listen to more than others. And sometimes I'm literally standing up here on a stage and I will say some words and I know that's not normally how I would say them, but it's definitely how the guy I've been listening to for the last month would say them. Now that was not intentional. That was not me saying, how do I become more like that guy? But because I've submitted myself to their influence, something very naturally starts getting formed within me. 
So how do we do that with the Spirit? How do we position ourselves to walk with, to be led by, to live by, and to keep in step with the Spirit? Because remember where God's taking us. And God's freedom is gonna come from God's influence. Now, the following few minutes, one could preach entire sermon series about each one of these, but just hear these ideas through the lens of we know how to be influenced by others, but let's just quickly apply that with some clarity to the influence of God in our life. And if we are gonna be influenced by the Spirit, that means we need to be influenced by His will and His words, His words and His will. And there are kind of two ways that we can be influenced by His words and His will. And the one is the way that He has given us His words and His will clearly. And the one when He gives His words and His will more dynamically. On the clear side, please don't think that if you want to get to the voice of the Holy Spirit, you need to close this book. The scriptures are very clear that it is the Spirit somehow working through the prophets that we actually have what we call the scriptures, the Word of God. And so it is the Spirit that gave life to the scriptures. And these are, man, you and I have multiple translations in our own language so we can see with clarity what are the words of the Spirit. And so if I wanted to know His voice, when I come to the Word of God, He always speaks. I love the metaphor used by Timothy Keller. He says, for those of you who've been parents, you'll know this, that when you start kind of speaking with your little baby, you don't start off on day one with a picture of a tomato and the word tomato written on a piece of paper. You just speak. You just speak. And by the time that little boy or girl says their first word, you have spoken hundreds of thousands, if not millions of words over your child. And their first few words are not because they saw a picture of a tomato and the word tomato on a cue card, but simply they have heard those ideas thousands of times. And that is how they learn how to speak. If we are to learn the language of the Spirit, we need to allow His words thousands of times, hundreds of thousands of times to wash over us so in turn we can grow to know the voice of the Spirit. And the same is true with regards to His will. A danger that we as pastors and leaders so often see, I want to know God's will for my life. And usually what they mean is, I've got a crisis, I've got a decision, what do I do? Once again, in way too many cases, the Bible is closed. And so I want to encourage you, if you want to get to know the will of the Spirit, start with what is revealed. Start with what is clear. Live according to His clearly revealed will. And by doing that, you are positioning yourself to far more likely hear his voice and his will in the more dynamic 
sense. About that briefly. The scriptures, and I know this is maybe new for some of us here, but the scriptures make it very clear that while the word is one of the clearest ways that the spirit speaks, it's not the only way the spirit speaks. And because we are in relationship with this guide, with this friend, with this counselor, he can speak in a more dynamic sense. And in doing that, whether we're praying about a decision or where the Spirit intrudes upon our own thinking. We wake up in the morning and we've got someone on our mind. What if that's the Spirit? Got a song on your heart. What if He wants you to pull out your phone and find that song and allow Him to minister to you? There's a verse that just randomly pops into your head and you're like, Holy Spirit, is this for me? Is this for somebody else? And very soon you just feel prompted by him to either send that to somebody or just to receive for yourself what God the Spirit is wanting to say to you. There is no science to this. And to illustrate, I wanna give you a live example. At five o'clock this morning, church, you had a very different sermon planned. And what I like to do on a Sunday morning is I like to either just continue whatever is the next part of my devotion and pick that up and just pray that in the morning. Or I like to take the the texts that we're gonna be dealing with in church and just pray through those. Pray through those for you. Pray through those for me. And as I started praying through those things, it was literally in the first minute or two of praying this morning, I just had this thought. Stephen, there's a better way to preach this text. Now, if you know me, I like to work hard on communication. I like to steward this platform well. And so I brushed it off. No, Stephen, that's just you. You're just trying to be a perfectionist. That's probably motivated by pride. You've worked hard, you've prayed. Now just trust God and do what you prepared and carry on praying. But the thought wouldn't go. And then the thought came to me, hey, Stephen, you're preaching on being led by the Spirit and you're ignoring me. <laughs> and this is why I say this is tried and untested because I don't know what uh, you know, would have been the net difference between the 5 a.m. sermon and what you're getting now. But the whole idea is the more we immerse ourselves in the voice of God, and in the will of God. And the more we start to receive a prompting from the Lord, and I can't prove with absolute certainty that it is him versus me, but the more this, this does seem like God, this does feel like God, there are ways that I can match this up against his character and his revealed will. So I act on that, and then someone says, Stephen, that is exactly what I needed to hear this morning. Oh, wow, that was God. The more we do that, the more we experience, I didn't have a W for this. We've got the words in the world, but we've got a, sounds like W, oneness with the Spirit. This is our relationship with the Spirit. If you are to receive the influence of the Spirit, regular relationship and conversation with Him. And what does that look like? Prayer and awareness and intentionality. If you want to allow God to increasingly influence your life, 
Let me just be crystal clear. Sundays is not enough. It's better than nothing, but it's not enough. Real influence is gonna go beyond Sundays to other ways that we know God works through other people, through community, through his word. So we're gonna push into him to the point where we start becoming aware that everywhere I go, God's spirit is with me. It has the potential to influence me and I wanna be available to that. So we need a guide for us to follow. Number two, you need a power to transform. So we have God's spirit to lead us, to guide us, to pace us. But what we're gonna see in a second is that God also makes his spirit available to us to internally transform who I am. One of the greatest theologians, for those of you who love reading, who I think speaks on the things of the Holy Spirit, is a guy by the name of Gordon Fee. And he says, spirit people not only want to please God, but are empowered to do so. Can you see how different that is from simply just trying to follow all the rules? So what this looks like is in the following verses. But the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things, there is no law. I remember the Spirit is leading us away from the ditch of indulging our sinful nature. And what I want to make so clear from this part of these verses is that the Spirit is not only calling us to not sin. It's kind of like to use the example from last week, a Lamborghini being used to drive over the copies here behind us in Akinoff. It is not simply good enough to simply stop using the Lamborghini to get over those four by four trails and park it in a garage. No, what is that Lamborghini meant for? It's meant to be on the open road. It's meant to go fast on a beautiful flat track. And in the same way, the opposite of the sinful nature is not simply not sinning. The opposite of indulging the sinful nature is this, having the character of Christ nurtured and grown within us by Him and enabling me by how he leads us and guides us and how he transforms me on the inside to be on the road towards the life of love and freedom that he has for me. Just a few comments about this idea of the fruits of the Spirit. First of all, it is not fruits. It is fruit singular. Meaning, I don't like mango, I pick it out. You know, joy and peace. Oh, God, I want tons of joy and peace in my life. Patience and long-suffering, not so much, please. This is one concept. It's the character of Jesus Christ literally being formed within us as we grow in our relationship with Him and His influence in my life through His Spirit. This is the evidence of that. The second idea about these fruit, these are not the new rules. He has nine new rules. If you want to be a Christian, obey the nine rules of the fruits of the spirits. 
This is something God produces in you. You know, a tree never has to try bear fruit. If it's alive, if it's in good soil, and if it's got the right DNA, a pear tree will easily produce lots of pears. And in the same way, if we are being made alive because we are learning to live by the Spirit, we are made alive by Christ. If we have our roots in the soil of His presence and we have the right DNA, meaning we are learning to live out what it means to be alive to Christ, these verses say that the fruit gets developed naturally by God in you. And the fruit is the evidence that you have been influenced by God Himself. In verse, the end of verse 23, against these things, there is no law. See, a law can tell you how fast you must drive and what's gonna to happen to you if you go over that speed limit and you get caught. But it cannot empower you to keep the speed limits. And in the same way, what Paul is meaning by this is saying, when it comes to the fruits of the Spirit, there is no limit. There is no policeman saying, whoa, 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 whoa Michelle, you, you are way too gentle over there. Thomas, way too much kindness to your neighbor. You crossed the line. No, there is an infinite ability for us to allow God's character to be expressed through us. There is freedom to be as kind and as patient as we possibly can with God's help. There is no law, there is no boundary, there is no limit to these things. So up to now, we have a guide to follow. We need a power to transform us. We've been talking primarily about how God leads me, how God transforms me. And yes, I have a responsibility to lean into that, but I'm trusting His way, His power, His transformation. We're now gonna kind of flip the camera onto you. And I wanna warn you, that this next part is, not going to be, part is not going to be very easy and possibly very painful. So the third thing you need is you need courage and conviction. Verse 24 says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. I really hope and pray that in the following two minutes I can communicate something that I think is so important. You see, for many of us, when it comes to dealing with our sinful nature, I think the default human response is to simply white knuckle it and just do with everything in us and sometimes not with everything in us, but to simply try and stop sinning. Now the language of scripture, not only here, but elsewhere, is not to simply stop sinning, but to crucify your sinful nature. So I wanna talk about the difference between the, the stop it approach to our sin and the crucify approach to our sin. The stop it approach is primarily passive. It's until I find myself having sinned 
or about to sin. And then I really, really just try and stop it. The crucifier approach is way more active because it's not simply just reacting to those moments. It is saying, I know I have a sinful nature, so I choose to ongoingly, what Jesus says, deny yourself and carry your cross. What Paul calls crucify your sinful nature with his passions and desires. Sorry for what's gonna follow being very graphic. But if any of you have watched The Passion of the Christ or done a search into what crucifixion was like, it is one of the most brutal, painful ways that humans have ever imagined in order to, number one, inflict pain on another human being and number two, slowly kill them. Kind of evolved over centuries. How do we do this? Took intentionality. We had to make a cross, find a soldier, get this person and adhere them to this cross, often either being bound to the cross or through nails on the wrist and the legs. Great planning went into what is going to apply the greatest amounts of pain as well as suffocation. So when Paul says, crucify your sinful nature, it is so much more than just try and stop it. Get brutal, get intentional, plan this out. The next contrast I wanna talk about is between the stop it approach and the crucify approach is that the stop it approach is aimed at our behaviors. If only I can stop doing these behaviors, the crucify approach is aimed primarily at our desires. Crucify your sinful nature with its passions and its desires. The book of James, written by Jesus' own brother, says that all of our sins starts off with these desires. Have you ever had to either say no to yourself with something you really, really want, or have someone say no for you? It is painful. And the truth is, and we know this experience, even the things that we really want and we know they're contrary to the things of God. Something in me still wants them. And for me to deny myself feels like a death. And so this is the active way we crucify our desires. The third level here is the stop it approach is something you do, the crucify approach, is something you do with Jesus. It's not just the sum of your own efforts. Paul says so many times that we have been crucified with Jesus, meaning we, as we come to faith in Jesus, we have been united with him in his death and his burial and his resurrection and his life. But part of that is I'm united in what he did on the cross. And so it becomes this idea of I'm not so much going to in my own efforts try and crucify my sinful nature, but rather my sinful nature has been crucified in Jesus, meaning Jesus, you did the real work. You were crucified for my sinful nature. 
And so Jesus, I trust you. I don't know if I can go through with this, but you were denied so that I can have life. And so I do this with Jesus. And so the real rub when it comes to, am I going to crucify my sinful nature with his desires and his passions is to answer this question in the moment. Is it worth it? And in the short term, the answer is almost always no. Because in the short term, we become so convinced joy sin is gonna give me is greater than the joy God is gonna give me. And so this is why I love this quote by Andy Stanley. Discipline is choosing what I want most versus what I want now. And so if what I want most is a life of freedom, the life of God's influence in my life, the life motivated by love and service of others. If that's what I want most, I'll tell you what I do. I pray that out. God, I know that if I indulge my passion and desire right now, I'm gonna get a certain joy out of that. And that is tugging on me right now. But God, what I want most is, and I pray it out loud. What I want most is you. What I want most is what you want for my life. What I want most is Jesus. And right now, I'm feeling the emotional pull this way. But what I want most is you, Jesus. And that is an act of faith. And so as we wrap up this morning, the challenge is truly, will you position yourself to be influenced by God's Spirit. Because God's freedom, which is what He wants for you, comes from God's influence. Will you allow yourself to walk with, to be led by, to live by, and to keep in step with God's Spirit? And it really comes down to what you want most. Because if you, if you truly want freedom, freedom the way God's word describes it, if you truly want freedom, if you truly want to know Jesus better, if you truly want your life to reflect the life that He, your loving Father and Creator, wants for you, then just like we submit ourselves to the influence of so many people around us, we will do everything in our power to submit ourselves to the guidance, the love, and the influence of God, the Holy Spirit. And that's gonna look like something. Once again, it is not enough to say, oh, Stephen, that's such a challenging sermon. Praise the Lord. It actually translates into faith, which means obedience. And here's the greatest, maybe not the greatest, but here's a great outcome of that. The more we submit ourselves to the influence of God's Spirit, the more we become an influence to and for others, to our neighbors, to our family, to our colleagues. And that is what God wants for us. So as we reflect on this, let us bow our heads in prayer. God, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. That is what you want for us. 
And even when you do set down boundaries saying, this is what my will looks like, it is not to restrict our freedom, it is to enable our freedom. But God, I know myself. I'm falling off the left and the right every single day. And so I need a guide. I need someone who knows the way, who's walked the way. I need something within me to be transformed because I can't do that. And Father, as you set that goal of life and love and freedom before us, so online are making the decision to increase the degree to which we are positioned to receive influence by your Spirit. What is that step that God is calling you to? Don't think about the next 2,000 steps. Think about the next step. Let the Spirit guide you to the next step. As you bring your mind towards God, what is He calling you to do? How is that going to impact your tomorrow? How are you going to put that plan into practice? Just between you and God. God, I'm going to do this. Not to follow the rules, but for more of you. Father, I pray that even now, the invitation towards life and love and freedom is just shining so brightly ahead of us. We need freedom from slavery. Our world and our families and our marriages need freedom. Need us to live in freedom and to walk in freedom. And we grow in freedom as we grow in your influence in our lives. So Holy Spirit, as we leave this place, the real sermon starts. Lead us, guide us, Give us great courage and conviction to crucify our sinful nature and our desires. Alert us, Holy Spirit. Let us keep in pace with you as we keep in step with you. Lord, you said you'll never leave us nor forsake us. And so you are with us. It gives us such great confidence. We have, a, have an advocate. Thank you, Lord. We pray this all in your mighty name, Jesus, and for your kingdom and for your glory.